begin tonight in Romans uh, chapter 5. Really, this is introduction, I mean, a, a kind of a theme verse. And as I was preparing to speak Friday night at the um, couple's dinner, which I'm not sure, I didn't ask, you know, I didn't ask the history and, you know, why they have in September, but that's, that's good good time to have it. Anytime's a good time to have a couple's dinner. And he, the pastor mentioned to me that uh, the theme for the evening was joy in God together. And so um, he told me, he said, that's the theme, but you feel whatever, however the Lord directs you, you're, you're welcome to preach whatever kind of message. And they said, we want you to preach. All right, we want you to preach. No time limit and all that. I don't know if you knew what he was getting into, but and I love that. He just said, preach. We, want, we don't want a Bible study. We don't want a devotional. We want you to preach. Okay, so, and so anyway, um, after preparing that message, and uh, I thought, well, it would be good to share that same message with, with you folks tonight. So I'm going to do that. And so it's uh, not exactly under the category of issues of life, and yet it is. Um, the theme about joy. So, and it's going to, and uh, as I, the Lord, as I prayed and looked at scriptures, that theme, joy in God together, um, that word together just just stuck in my mind. And I said, I just thought, oh, oh Lord, I'm, I will do that. I took the concordance and I looked up verses that use the word together. Right? And um, so I'm going to just use a few of those tonight. But first of all, Romans 5.11. Let's go there to start with. We'll read that verse. And then I'll pray and then perhaps make a few comments on that verse, and then we'll look at some things in, on the subject of together as believers, all right, together. Romans 5 and verse 11 says, and not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. That is the, the word, the propitiation, the work of salvation. Father, thank you so much for this precious verse of Scripture, for our Lord Jesus Christ and all that he is and all that he's done for us and all that he continues to do for us. And even, Lord God, as we sang that hymn, Whiter Than Snow, we realize that uh, as Jesus told his disciples as he washed their feet uh, that to show them that, first of all, they need to have that attitude of service one for another, but then in answering Peter's request to be washed all over, Jesus said, "He that is washed needeth not; um, he that is cleansed needeth not to wash, save for his feet." And so that we know that the dirty feet symbolizes the fact that we still sin even after salvation. We don't need to be saved all over again. We just need our feet cleansed. That is our walk, and that the blood of Jesus Christ continues to cleanse us from all sin. We praise Thee for that. Help us. I pray by the Holy Spirit as you look into the Word tonight, and we pray in Jesus' name, um, amen. Uh, notice that using the word joy, I just want to mention it very quickly, um, the word joy as it's used in the New Testament especially uh, refers to an inner delight. It's actually even the idea of a total satisfaction, contentment in the Lord. And, when, and most always... Um, when the word joy is used in the scriptures, it's always referring to that which is based on our relationship to the Lord. It has nothing, not, the word joy in the Bible never has anything to do with outward circumstances or happiness or prosperity 
or anything like that. Um, in fact, Paul and Silas in jail, they prayed and sang praises to the Lord. And so singing praise to God is one of the, one of the expressions of joy. Right? And so that's very important. And we joy in God. And so uh, Jeremiah talked about how the word of God, thy word, was unto me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. So there's joy in singing, there's joy in, in the word of God, there's joy in praying, there's joy in suffering, there's joy in all that. And so again, that was a theme. And the word together, that just really took a hold of my heart and mind. And so I'd like us to look at three things tonight, basically, what, that the Bible has to say to us about together, all right? Um, the Christian life is not meant to be lived solo. Um, it's not meant to be lived alone. We are not to be islands. We are not to be isolated, especially from one another. And so, in 1 Peter chapter 3, um, first of all, and because it was a couple's banquet, and because there's several, there's couples, married couples here tonight, um, it's good to be reminded that there are some things the Bible says about us being together. Right? So, First Peter chapter three, and the first part of the verse has to do with the wives. And it's, it's interesting in Scripture that when the Bible addresses the subject of husbands and wives, it almost always puts the wife first and and deals with her um, <coughs> responsibilities and position and, and and all those sort of things. And so the same here, First Peter chapter three. Likewise, likewise goes back to chapter 2, some of the things that Christ did and his suffering and his being true to God. Likewise, wives, be in subjection to your own husbands. That if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. Now the Bible uses the term those who obey not the gospel. And I believe that's the same thing here. It's talking about a Christian woman who has an unsaved husband. Um, and some people think, well, he's not a Christian. I don't have to submit to him. That's the Bible doesn't, never, the Bible doesn't say that at all. But he says this, if, if any, be, be in to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may, without the word, be one by the conversation of the wives. One to what? One to being a better husband? No, being one to the Lord. Of course, he'll be a, a person is one to the Lord, they will be a better husband. The typical wife will always will pray that God will change her husband. Um, the typical wife will pray, I'm, this is why I, my husband it doesn't do this, doesn't do that, I really wish he would, I'm praying that he would, praying God would work in his heart. Well, the Bible says here that that's, that's, depend, that's, your, that's on you as a wife. I'm not, I don't think anybody here has an unsaved husband, but um, notice it says this, they may without the word, in other words, without the wife constantly nagging him about the, from the word of God, that's what it's talking about, it's without speaking. They might be won by the conversation of the wives, that is the conduct. Now we had a case, we had a case very recently where that's exactly what happened. You know, everybody remembers Sam Tesla. We miss him. He's with the Lord. But you realize that he was saved because Susan won him without, you know, constantly <laughs> badgering him. She finally got him to come to church because he saw the change in her life. And you know the story. He got saved and baptized and became active. And, and uh, you know, he would help out any way he could. 
But so there's, there's, a, there's one of a living example of how that works, okay? Who's adorning, rather behold your chaste conversation, that means holy conduct, coupled with fear, who's adorning, let it not be the outward, that outward adorning of plating of the hair, wearing of a pair of gold, or putting on apparel. So in other words, not by the outward beauty and adornment and all that, but let it be the hidden man of the heart, that is the inner person, and that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. And we, by the way, we ignore these things to our peril and to the God is blaspheme. All right? When we, when we, women, I'm going to get to the husbands here in a minute, but when women do not demonstrate this meek and quiet spirit, um, that's contrary to the word of God. For after this manner, and Peter relates back to the Old Testament, and for, for after this manner, in the old time, the holy women also who trust in God adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. She, there's a couple passages, but one in particular, when the angel came, you know, and told Sarah that reminded her that she was going to have a child, and she said, in my age, who am I, am I going to have pleasure? My, my Lord, being old also, talking about Abraham. Whose daughters you are, as long as you do well, in other words, do what's pleasing in the sight of God, and are not afraid with any amazement. So in other words, just do what God's word says to do. Now, likewise, ye husbands. So there's that word again, likewise. Likewise, likewise. In other words, wives, like Jesus lived his life, you do the same. Likewise, husbands, like Jesus lived his life, and like he commands the wife, you too, likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them, according to knowledge. In other words, with understanding. Giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. Now that's a whole other subject. That's a whole subject right there, a whole message, a whole study. Because whether you want to accept it or not, the wife is weaker. Physically, emotionally, so on. Even, I think, even Adam and Eve in their perfect state, the devil knew who to go after. Right, because the woman is usually easier, easier misled, or you know that sort of thing. Sorry about that. The Bible says it. It's the truth. Um, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. So there's the word together. Heirs together, um, and that is simply inheritors or partakers of the grace. Of life now, um, and the grace of life certainly starts with salvation, but it doesn't end there. The grace of life, simply the grace to be what we ought to be in the sight of the Lord. And um, without turning back there, just let me refer you to Ephesians chapter five, where it talks about where it says in verse eighteen, "And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit." And that lists several characteristics. It starts right off with singing. Starts with, and then it says, be thankful. Then it says, be submissive. And then it goes right to the wives. Be in subjection to your own husbands. And it goes on through there. And then it says, husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church. And then it says, uh, children, obey your parents. And it says, fathers, bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Servants, obey your masters. And masters, do what's equal. So it covers the whole 
aspect of normal everyday living. See, there's such a, such a misconception of what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit that they miss it. These ones that, you know, they, want have, they always think that being filled with the Spirit leads to some spectacular things. Now, in the New Testament, there were times where the Bible says that Paul was filled with the Spirit, um, Peter was filled with the Spirit. On the day of Pentecost, 120 believers were all filled with the Spirit, and the Lord gave them the ability to speak in languages, known languages. In fact, in Acts chapter 2, 17 different languages are mentioned, or language groups. God supernaturally, the Holy Spirit, enabled them to speak languages that they did not know, but they were known to the hearers, right? And even, by the way, that's what the, yeah, that's what the interpreter is all about. It's not just that somebody jibber-jabbers and God gives somebody the special ability to interpret. No, it's the idea that a person who's present knows the language and they interpret, all right? But anyway, so what I'm saying is this. According to Ephesians 5 and Ephesians 6, a spirit-filled Christian will sing. They'll have a song in their heart. It doesn't mean that they're melodious or have a wonderful voice, but they want to praise God. Okay? A spirit-filled Christian is a thankful Christian. A spirit-filled Christian is submissive. A spirit-filled wife is submissive to her husband. A spirit-filled husband is, is, loves his wife as Christ loved the church. And that's the word agape. And even children, he's, obviously he's, that's, for, that's meant for all children, but in the context of Ephesians, the local church, they were believing young people. So the message to them is, obey your parents and honor thy father and mother. And then the fathers, the, the responsibility, not to provoke them to wrath by being overly critical and harsh and mean, but to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. <clears throat> and then servants, obey your masters. That is, if you work for somebody else. And if you're, a, if you're a boss, treat your workers fairly. And even, in fact, that that includes giving a... If you're a Christian businessman, I don't think we're having those right now, but if a Christian businessman and women are commanded by the Word of God to pay their employees a decent wage. That's the idea of giving them what's fair and just. So that they can live, right? God promises to bless... And we do that. And so, but here, then again, it talks about um, being heirs together. And the Bible talks about marriage, and you're all pretty familiar. What the Bible says, the two shall be one. So when two people get married, they're no longer individuals. It's no longer my life and her life. It's our life. There is that togetherness. I'm very thankful, and I don't want to preach a whole message on this, but... I don't know if I've said it publicly enough. I'm thankful for the wife the Lord gave me. I praise the Lord every day. Amen. And I pray for God to help me, because I'm not always. And you guys, you'd be lying if you, if you said you're always a perfect husband, all right? <laughs> We're just not. It's kind of interesting. Everything the Bible tells women to do is contrary to their nature, and everything the Bible tells men to do is contrary to our nature. Run that way before the fall, by the way, all right? I mean, I've heard that, you know, when Adam took a look at Eve, he goes, whoa, man, and the name stuck. <laughs> so anyway, um, and the Bible has a lot to say. Um, I remember one time, I wasn't there, I was working there, I think, 
I was helping, I think it was a ladies retreat, and one of the ladies there got offended because the speaker talked about the husband and wife relationship. Oh, you shouldn't have. Oh. The Bible talks about it a lot. All right? Song of Solomon. I realize you can make some application to Christ and the church, but that's not the main point of Song of Solomon. It's about married love. It's about the joy of physical relationship and intimacy between husband and wife, and that's what it's in there for. And there's a phrase in there, do not awake love until, until he pleases. In other words, don't stir the passion until the right time. It was after, after marriage. And so, um, I just, I thank God. And I say this, and I mean it, and I've told you, I think I hope, I hope I've told you recently, other than my getting saved, the best thing ever happened to me was that, that, that lady there coming into my life. I mean that. I could not be what I am or do what I am without her support. All right? And uh, I had somebody tell me one time, they're with the Lord now, and they said to me, Pastor, you know, you do a lot in the church, but I think Jen does more. And I, I think she does. And I, but the pro- I mean, not the problem, not the problem, is that she doesn't go around announcing everything that she does. And I hope that I'm, I'm, I don't mean to put you on the spot. And that's how a godly woman is, by the way. Godly women don't want to be out in the front. I remember one time years ago we were going to have the Palatiers, and we didn't know, didn't know at the time if Becky was going to be able to travel, but it, it turned out that she did. And so when I put the flyer together, I put a picture of Greg and Heather, and I put a picture of Mike, but no picture of Becky. And when they got, I said, you know, I told her, I said, I'm really sorry. She said, that's okay. I don't, I don't, like, to be, I don't like to be noticed. I, I don't like to be out in the front. And so praise the Lord for that. Um, but, but together, together. Um, I was also had a lady come to me one time, her and her husband are both with the Lord, they were saved, and they were having some issues, and, and the, the wife was so broken hearted, she said, I asked my husband if he ever prays when we're having trouble for the, and for the Lord's help. He said, he said, never, never, I never pray. Never pray about that. That's a shame. Well, in fact, it's more than a shame, it's a sin, all right? So together, together. So when I was a kid, I don't know how old it was. There was this popular song, and I loved it. It's, there's nothing wrong with it. It's not a Christian song, but it's a song about marriage, husband, wife, and and this. The only line I really remember of the song is this: "Togetherness makes loneliness walk right out the door." And I thought that's a great, that's great. Of course, those country music songs, you know, you lose your wife, your truck, your dog, and you play them backwards, you get them all back. But anyway, um, but that was the theme of that song, and they were thanking God for bringing each other into their life. And uh, so, togetherness. So we have to be together as husbands and wives and enjoy each other's company and fellowship and do, you know, do things for one another. And um, when I, one of the things that 1 Peter 3, 7 says is that we are to give honor. We are to give honor. We are to honor our wife. We are to treat her as a precious jewel you know, we are to treat her as a queen. And then on the other hand, the Bible says a wife is to reverence her husband, honor him, and, and treat him like a king. Um, you know, Ralph Cramden used to, you know, he's, he doesn't speak for the for a godly husband. You know, by Zoom, I'm going to send you to the moon. Remember all those things? And, you know, but uh, I'm king of the castle, you know, all that. that. That's just not it. That's not it at all. Yes, the husband is the head. We are to be the leader, and so on. But anyway, together, together. So there's one. As husbands and wives, we are to be together. And again, um, 
In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul uses the husband and wife relationship to illustrate the relationship between the husband and the wife. And it says, the husband is the head of the, of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. So if there's a decision that needs to be made and you can't agree, it's the husband who makes the final decision. Now, and he has to live with that. So if he makes a bad decision, and, and you're, actually that protects the wife. Um, so there's a lot of that that's being ignored today. Um, it's, it's being thrown out the window, even by churches and, and so on. But it's still in the word of God. And then it says, husbands, love your wives. As Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. So in this world, there's so many things that we could draw from that. But one that always impresses me is the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ of everything in the universe, he cherishes the church above everything except his own relationship with his father. So if we're going to be a Christ-like husband, in fact, he uses the word cherish in the passage, we will cherish our wife above everything in the world. And those people make a mistake, and even Christian people make mistakes, and sometimes, um, I suppose it's, it's made, the mother, for the most part, is prone to this, but sometimes a, a wife, or a husband, I suppose, but one or the other, or both, will put the children above each other. Now, there's nothing in the Bible about that. And quite to the contrary, the Bible makes it very clear the relationship, the husband-wife, is the, mo- is the second most important. Only the relationship to Christ is more important than the husband-wife relationship. And I have, I have had to, I've done it, I've talked to people, I don't think anybody here, I don't think so, about this very subject. And so ladies, the husband is first, and, and, and uh, husbands, the wife is first, before the kids, before the grandkids, before anything else. Right? That's, how, that's the Bible. That's what the Word of God says. And one of the reasons that we say that is that there's no other relationship that, on earth that's compared to Christ and the church except the husband and wife. All right? in, our, in our life, in our relationships. All right, we, let's go to number two. That is um, <clears throat> together as a church. Let's go to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. And let's just, this is a very, very familiar passage of Scripture. And so they were saved. In verse 41, 3,000 were saved, they were baptized, they were added to the church. Verse 42 talks about their spiritual growth. Uh, verse 44 says, And all that believed, all, right, all that believed, were together and had all things common. Now that's not Christian communism or Christian socialism, that's Christian care. But in, in, interesting, the word together, as it's used here, means for or to the same. It speaks of unity, of heart, and purpose, and that they, and they enjoyed each other, and there, there was not, the togetherness was in the heart, first of all, but it manifested itself 
in the physical aspect. They were together. They fellowshiped. They worshiped together. You know, they were under the word of God together. They served together. They prayed together. Verse you know, 42, they continued steadfastly. They, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, and breaking of bread, and in prayers. Right? They were together. Um, and all that believed were together. They had all things common. That interesting, that word translated common there literally means owned by many. So in other words, joint ownership is kind of like the idea. So in other words, they, uh, they didn't say that anything they had was their own. Okay? So here's what they did. Verse 45, sold their possessions and goods and parted them to, to all men as every man had needs. So they took care of each other, those who had needs. Now, Paul, in Thessalonians, deals with those who don't work or won't work. If any would not work, neither should he eat. So he's not talking, just give it to everybody. You don't, you don't, we don't support laziness. We don't encourage that. But people who have needs, and there are people that have needs. We've had people over the years that have had needs, all right? And we've, we've tried to meet those needs as, as we can. Um, and, you know, one of the ways that, that you do this, kind of indirectly, but is through the giving to the deacon's phone, all right? But I think we need to watch and opportunities to do more than that. Um, when we can meet a need, we, 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 ought, we really ought to do that um, if we can and look around for those that have needs. Um, and so what else does it say? Verse 46, And they continuing daily, see they were together, with one accord in the temple, they met in the temple until that was no longer uh, possible, Breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. And so that's really the, the ultimate result of their togetherness was people were added, people were saved. Because they saw the testimony and they heard the testimony of the Lord. Okay? So um, we ought to look forward to getting together. And um, every once in a while, we'll go to town and we'll see somebody from our church, like in Walmart or something. That's, that, that's, and one time there was two or three of us, three or four of us. We all happened to be there at the same time. And we're standing in the aisle, we're kind of in a circle, and we're just talking, and we're praising the Lord, and everything, and people are looking at us. So I knew once this guy walked by. I said, hey, we're having a revival meeting. You want to join us? And he kept on going. But uh, it's, it's neat, all right, when you book to, to be together. All right, then we have um, Acts 10. Let's go there. Acts chapter 10. Something I try to remember everywhere I go. Um, something that Cornelius did. That's a great example. Here's a, here's a man. I mean, it was, he was, this happened, of course, during the transition from law to grace. And so even though Cornelius was a godly man, he wasn't a saved man. So the time was coming to an end when it was good enough just to accept the God of the Old Testament. But because Cornelius had accepted the God of the Old Testament and God and had responded to the light that he had, God saw to it that he got more light. And I, I believe that's a principle of the Word of God. If somebody responds to the light they have, God will make sure that they get more. 
All right, and I've read stories all f down through the centuries about missionaries who've gone, and and there's somebody you know I've uh, I've been waiting for somebody to come for years because I know there's something more. I know there's a God, and you know, and so God does that. God brings light, and so the opposite of that, God says in Romans one, they're without excuse because God knew, even God knows the hearts of every person on earth. And if they would have heard the truth, they would have rejected it. God knows that. And so that's why no one's, no one's, it's no excuse to not hear the gospel. But Cornelius was a man who came to embrace the God of the Old Testament, the Old Testament scriptures, so on. And so we have um, Cornelius in Acts chapter uh, num number 10. Let's just, I want to give, let's quickly give a little background Verse 1, it says, There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, Acts 10, verse 1, a centurion of the band called the Italian band. So he was a soldier. He was an officer in the Roman uh, army. He had a hundred men directly under his command. A devout man. I love to use that with soldiers, by the way. It's possible to be a soldier and be a devout man. And feared God with all his house, his whole family which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. By the way, the people there refers to the Jewish people. He helped Israel. And then he had the vision. The angel of God told him to send for Peter. And he did. And, and of course, God had to do something special to get Peter to, to agree. You know, the vision with the, with the sheet and all that. And so Peter went. And so we have um, verse 24. I'm going to look at two verses here. Acts 10.24, and the, and the morrow after, they entered into Caesarea. So there was the time it took for, for Cornelius' men to get to Joppa, to meet with Peter. The Bible says that he lodged them overnight, and then the next day they went to Caesarea. And so this is what I find really interesting and precious, and Cornelius waited for them. Acts 10.24 and had gathered and called together there's that word again his kinsmen and near friends and so Cornelius didn't just wait in his house for two or three days waiting for all this he got busy he brought everybody he could get into his house and I thought about that I wonder how, how do we ever do, do we do that do we do that do you do that do you ever invite anybody when was the last time you invited somebody, brought somebody in, all right? Very important. Then down to verse 33, this is Cornelius. Verse 33, Cornelius says, Immediately therefore I sent to thee, and thou hast well done that thou art come. Now therefore are we all here present before God to hear all things that are commanded thee of God. So it's not just, oh, that's just the pastor. And you know him. No, it's the commandments of God that come from this pulpit, all right? And we better, I better make sure it is the word of God, and you better make sure that you take heed unto the word of God. That's how God intended for the church to grow and be edified. All right, let's take a look at one other one, and then we got one, a third one really quickly. But also, this, this is regarding the still local church, all right? And that's Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. Romans 15 and verse 30. 
course, to the church at Rome. We got, we, I think one of the things that we need to remind ourselves from time to time is that these New Testament epistles were directed to congregations, right? Um, Ephesians, you know, written to the church of Ephesus, 1 Corinthians, church of Corinth, Philippians to the church of Philippi, and so on. Romans to the church in Rome, not the Catholic church, but the Baptist church. No, the Bible-believing church in Rome, the believers. Um, Philippians makes it very clear the bishops and deacons. So anyway, I, I said that to say we, we sometimes want to apply this individually. And there is application, but, but when Paul is writing and instructing, he's talking about what we as a body of, of believers need to do and can do and what's our privilege to do. And here's one of them. Notice, um, Romans 15:30. Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit, that ye strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. Now, one of the one of the reasons that I love the King James Bible, and there's a lot more reasons than this, is always you can always tell if he's talking to one person or more than one person. If Paul was writing to one person, he would say, I beseech thee. Thee is singular. Thine is singular. Thy is singular. You, your, yours is always plural. Right? So he's talking not to an individual or ten individuals or thirty individuals. He's talking to ye. He's talking to the body as a whole. And here's what he says. Strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. Now, don't, don't misunderstand, but because we can pray anywhere, everywhere, and we should, but this is not talking about that. This is emphasizing praying together. Your prayers, ye strive together. Listen, we can't strive together if I'm in the shopping and somebody else is in Auburn or Laceyville. There, there's, that is not corporate prayer, right? And so we have that time. We have Wednesday night set aside where we gather together for prayer. Okay? And, it's, and some churches have stopped having prayer meeting. Why? Because nobody comes. Well, that's... And I understand that. But I don't agree with it. All right? But I will say this. Every pastor I know, every pastor I know, is sorrowful over the lack of attendance at prayer meeting. And we agree. That's part of the problem in America. That's why we're in the situation we're in. Because when God's people pray together, things happen. Okay? Now, here's what... Now, <clears throat> We have a prayer list. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. Obviously, I wouldn't do it if I thought it was wrong. We have requests and so on. But notice what Paul, the, the language that Paul uses. Strive together. Strive together in prayer. The idea of that word strive together is it, it literally means a joint struggle. It means to agonize in prayer together. The idea of pouring out our hearts to God. It's the same type of word. It's the same word that come, where the word comes from when Jesus Christ prayed in Gethsemane. It says, being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly. 
That's the idea. And so we need to do that. We need to have those kind of prayer times together. We stopped. We were on our way last Monday, a week ago, to help Dana because they had had their basement got flooded with that storm. And I don't know what, what, what the situation was. We stopped at one of those turnpike plazas. We're walking in to use the bathroom and maybe get a drink. And we saw, I don't know how many, four, five, six people in a circle with their arms around each other in the parking lot. And I knew, what, I knew exactly what they were doing. They were praying. I wanted to join them. Oh, I really did. We came back out, they were gone. But anyway, prayer, 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 prayer. Um, all right, <clears throat> one last thing. Let's go to Ephesians 2. And that is this, together as to what God has provided and what God has promised. Now, I don't know. And don't take this dogmatically. And, and, but I wonder, on the basis of what Ephesians says, that when we go to heaven, we're going to be grouped according to churches. You might think that's crazy. Let's, look, let's see what Ephesians says. Chapter 2. First of all, what God has provided. This, and you have he quickened, verse 1 of chapter 2, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation, our conduct in times past and less of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we by nature the children of wrath, even as others. That's what we were. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are ye saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And so, remember that Paul is writing to a congregation. He's writing to a church. So this is church doctrine. And of course it can be applied. It wasn't meant just for the church of Ephesus. It was meant for local churches of everywhere and at all times. But the Bible says, in Acts chapter 20, Paul said to uh, take heed to yourselves and to the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. Now I find it interesting that that was said in Acts chapter 20 when Paul sent for the elders of, do you know what church he sent for the elders of? Ephesus. He said, you, you, have, you have, God has given you a, a responsibility over that flock. The church which he hath purchased with his own blood. So the, the church in Ephesus was purchased with Christ's blood. The church in Philippi, the church in Colossae, the churches of Galatia, the church in Meshachim has been purchased by the blood of Christ. And there is a special application to the local church. That's God's prize, if you will. That's his precious possession in this day. Now, so we've been, we've been raised up together. We've been made to sit together in heavenly places. We're, we're there. We have fellowship with the Lord, with one another. It's as if we're already in heaven. That's how God views us. All right? So 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. What, what 
God has promised. So when he's provided for us, he's quickened us together, made us sit together in heavenly places. In other words, he's given us a new life. He's given us a new purpose. Christ promised that he would build his church. And he's building it to this very day. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. This is the passage about the rapture. You're very familiar with it. So let's pick it up in verse 16. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. So we're going to be caught up together. Obviously from all over the world. But those dead in Christ at the cemetery, wherever the cemetery might be, or if they're buried at sea or whatever, they're going to come out of there. They're going to rise up together. They're going to meet the Lord in the air. And by the way, do you, do you realize that according to Ephesians chapter 5, Christ is going to present us to himself as a glorious group of believers. Is that what it says? No. A glorious church. We're going to be assembled in heaven as a body of believers, as a church, if you will. That's what it says. So whether, you know, we're going to be grouped as according to churches or we just be all one big church, you know, it's not really that important, but the idea is of togetherness among believers, fellowship, and so on. All right? The last verse I'm going to look at tonight in closing. Let's go to Hebrews 10. Hebrews chapter 10. I think I mentioned this morning about the invitation um, that we had gotten. I don't know if anybody else piped in on that, but um, the, assist, the assistant pastor at the church there in Coopersburg, had him and his family visited us about a year ago or so. They were vacationing in the area and they came to our services. And uh, they hadn't, they'd heard of us um, because the church down there in Coopersburg is Shane Colmeyer's home church and there's other people that came out of there. Uh, the Sheedles came out of that church anyway. And so they knew about us and then they came to visit. Um, and anyway, as a result of that, I got a phone call and I came up one morning to the office. There was a message from Pastor Smith Sr. at the pastor church. He said, hey, brother, give me a call when you get a chance. So I gave him a call when I had a chance. And <laughs> he said, we're having this couple's banquet September 10th. Would you, we'd like to have you come down and speak. I said, okay, sure, I'd love to do that. So the point is this. We went there. We knew Pastor Smith Jr. and his wife. They were the only people we knew. There were probably, I would say, 50 or 60 people that came, couples. I mean, 30 couples, 50, 60 people. And we had never met one of them except the, the youth pastor. But we were there five minutes, and it was like we'd known him our whole life. That's what, that's what, it's, that's what togetherness, in, there's that bond that we have in Christ. And, and if you don't get that, then, then you're, you're, it's, I'm sorry, because it's a blessing to have that togetherness and to be with other believers and all those kinds of things. And so, the last, the last encouragement for you tonight is Hebrews 10.25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. But so here again, whether we have 10 people or 50 people or whatever people, we're not 10 individuals that just show up, all right? We're together. 
right? The assembling of yourselves, ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. In this day and age, people are getting together less. The Bible says, no, no, no. As we see the day approaching, that is the day of the Lord's return, we need to be together more. All right, more. So anyway, that's, we need to have faith. We need to trust God to, and, and, to obey these things and help us to see the importance and the value all right, of being with one another and, and just sharing and fellowship and encouraging and helping and praying for one another and all the things that the Bible tells us to do. All right? Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this time that we could have in the precious word and, and, and before that the singing of the hymns and, and just sharing things among ourselves and um, just thanks for your great love for us and thank you for what we have in Christ and that common bond and and uh, that we can just meet a new uh, meet a believer for the first time and within five minutes it's like we're we're lifelong friends and that's because of what we have together in Christ. Do thank you for the opportunity to go down there on Friday and do pray for Pastor Smith and Pastor Smith Jr. and for that fine church down there in Coopersburg. Continue to give them grace to stand. We pray, Lord, as we move ahead in the days the days that come. Again, help us, O oh Lord. We pray concerning all the things that are being uh, talked about in the media and how they're just they're already they've already come up with a new strain and all that sort of thing of this virus and and so Lord, just help us not to be moved by fear, but by faith, to be sensible and yet to be scriptural, and to do the things that would have us to do. Thanks again that we could be here this night. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Three hundred sixty-six. Books 366. Give me thy heart. Give me thy heart, says the Father above. And in, what, 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 my intention tonight was to continue in our series on issues of life and ask the question or that statement that you hear all the time follow your heart. And we're going to examine that probably for the next few weeks according to the Bible. Can you follow your heart? All right. So, this is the hymn I had intended for that message, Give Me Thy Heart. So that's the starting point. So let's stand. Let's just, um, let's just sing verse 1, all right? You've done, done so well, listened so well, and our time's gone. But verse number 1, Give me thy heart, says the Father above. the Father above, no gift so precious to Him as our love. Softly He whispers wherever Thou art, gratefully trust me and Give me thy heart. Give me thy heart. Give me thy heart. In a soft whisper, wherever thou art, from this dark world. He would draw 
Father, you have given so much for us, especially in thy Son. And Father, it's just it's reasonable for, for thee to ask us to give us give thee our hearts and our lives, our bodies, soul, and spirit. And just be with us now as we leave from this place. Just clear the way for the travelers and bless us, guide us throughout the week ahead. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.